Well, in, in this month and, and in this moment as we are really settling in this building, it, it gives me pause to ask the question, why? Why am I here? Why are we in this building? Because you can kind of distract yourself from life and purpose and deeper things when there's busyness. And some of us, that's a struggle. We, we don't want to get to this lower level, so we, we find busyness to distract us from the, the, the deeper issues that God is addressing. But today, I, I wanted to take a moment and, and ask the question, why, why are we here? What are we doing here in this moment? As you think about it, why doesn't God, on the moment that you put your trust in him, why doesn't he just beam you up to heaven? You know, there's a show of Star Trek, and they had this tractor beam, and, you know, they, they, they had a little, it doesn't matter. <laughs> but there was a way to communicate with the ship, and they said, beam me up, Scotty. It was a thing. It was pretty exciting at the time, uh, the, the graphics. Now we look back at it and laugh. But, but why doesn't God just beam us up? You know, I trust in you, Lord. Boom, now I'm in heaven. I'm worshiping the king. I'm celebrating. I'm removed from all the things that Jesus Jesus did defeat, right? He's on the cross, and if you don't know, Jesus lives this perfect life that we all should have lived on the cross. Or he, he, he lives a life of obedience to the Father. He, he's o- obedient to the scriptures which the Father had written by, by various men, and, and he lives a life of obedience. Then he goes on the cross and dies a sacrificial death on behalf of everyone who would put their faith in him. And and he succeeds, he dies, and, and on the cross, before he dies, he says, it is finished. The work is done. Then he rises from the dead on the third day as, as a vindication, as a way of saying, I died, but I didn't stay dead. If I had had sin, if I had been disobedient, if I had failed, then I would have stayed in the grave. But I came back from the dead because he was not sinful, he was sinless. Death could not hold him. So he defeats Satan, he defeats sin, and he defeats death. So why are we here? Now, there are several reasons I think we're here, but we're going to talk about one today. We're going to be reading out of Romans chapter 12, just one verse, which is unique for us, so enjoy it while it lasts. Um, we, we normally go through a, a larger text, and, and we're going to eventually get into some more text, but today we're going to be reading out of Romans chapter 12, verse 11. If you guys will stand with me together, we're going to read this one verse out loud together. Romans chapter 12, verse 11, which is coming. There we go. Nope, almost there. Romans 12. And while we're getting there, I would encourage you uh, to go back and start in verse 1 and just read Romans 12, because if you've ever wondered what it looks like for you to, to follow God and be a Christian, this is a great chapter to read. So we're going to read Romans 12, verse 11. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. This is the word of the Lord to us. Let's pray. Father God. I thank you that you have purpose for us. 
that as one of your servants has said, you are fitting us for heaven. That, that you are doing something here on earth to prepare us to receive your heavenly treasures and gifts and, and blessings in a way that we are actually receptive and, and thankful. And God, I pray that by your spirit that we would be inspired to, to live zealously, passionately, powerfully in light of the salvation that we've been given. That we would not just treat your salvation as uh, some sort of easy token, but that we would take hold of all the things that you've called us to. That we'd be planted in your church body and that we'd pursue fellowship with you by serving the people of God. Lord, be with us as we spend some time in your word. Open our eyes by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can sit down. So as I said, there, there are a number of different reasons why we're here. But one I wanted to hone in on is, is the fact that Christianity is more than just fire insurance. Have you ever heard that? Yeah. You know, it's not just, it's not a get out of hell free card. When it can be a dangerous thing not to count the cost of following Christ. And by that I mean not, 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 not to count the cost that he paid or to say that there, you know, there's, a, there's a price that we have to pay to be saved, but there's, there are things that we have to give up and pursue in order that we might live this Christian life. We, we give up sin. We give up our identity. We give up our autonomy. These are things that we give up. And, and part of what we give up is our right to call the shots. The Christian's call, if you're here, family, and you're a believer in just Jesus Christ, then your call is, is to serve the God who saved you. Your call is to serve the God who saved you. Our saved lives are lives of service. Now, I want to get some context before we get into the verse itself. If you were to go to verse 1, um, chapter 12 is kind of a pivot in the book of Romans. The first 11 chapters, Paul is he's wrestling with the gospel. And in chapter 1 of, of Romans, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to the Jew and to the Gentile. He's, he's laying out his beliefs that everyone has sinned, everyone is under the wrath of God, everyone needs God's salvation, and that salvation comes through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, through faith in that finished work. And he spends 11 chapters really dissecting the gospel and applying it to different aspects of, of reality. And then here in chapter 12, he says, in light of all of that, here's what I want you to do. He says in verse 1, I appeal to you, I'm, I'm asking you, I'm, I'm begging you, I'm entreating you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, in light of the mercies, plural, of God, to do what? To present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, dot, dot, dot. And he goes on to lay out what that spiritual worship looks like, to lay out what that life looks like. I appeal to you, God, or I appeal to you by the mercies of God to live your life in a way that honors God. How has God been merciful to you today? 
I want you to just take a moment and, and think to yourself, how has God been merciful to me? And if, you, if you're struggling to think of a way, just realize that you're in an air-conditioned room and not hell. It sounds a little harsh. We don't like to think about these types of things, and it's not really something that you do in conversation, unless you don't want to have a lot of friends. Um, but it's true. If we, if we recognize the sinfulness of our sin, the reality that you and I, by, by nature and choice, are rebels running from God, choosing to do the things that God has called us not to do, choosing not to do the things that God has called us to do, and that God is perfectly just and holy, and he can't just kind of overlook it and say, well, I'm just not going to watch then we have to recognize that there is a punishment that is due to our sin. I've used this analogy a bunch, but it bears repeating. I started saying this when I was in youth ministry, but but, uh, as a youth pastor, I'd say to the kids, hey guys, if you were to come up here, please don't do this. Please don't do this, because sometimes with younger teenagers, you have to be explicit. Uh, If you were to come up here and punch me in the face, and they'd kind of chuckle like, yeah, what if? I, you'd, we would stop you and we'd talk to your parents and you, you may or may not come back, but we'd, we'd definitely say you can't do it. There's to be some sort of appropriate, proportionate response, right? And then I'd say, but you know, if you were to go down to Richmond and you go to the governor's house and you just haul off and smack him in the face, you'd probably get arrested. I mean, maybe, you know, as a juvenile, you get off or who knows, maybe you go to juvenile detention or something. Um, but it, it wouldn't be good. And, and the response would be a little bit higher. And then if you were to go to uh, some nation in Europe and, and there, there, there were a, a, a royal person, a monarch or something like that, and you were to try and attack that monarch, you might get killed. You might get taken out. You might have physical harm happen to your body. Though you are a strong and young teenager who probably is just being foolish, the same act results in a different response in proportion to what? The honor against whom that response, or or the honor against, or the honor of the person against whom that, that act is done. So, in other words, me, I'm just a guy, I'm a pastor, small response. Governor, bigger response. Monarch, really big response because the level of honor increases with each person. What kind of response is, is deserved for an infinitely honorable being? All right, we struggle with the idea of hell. We struggle with the idea of sin until we realize, oh, and we take seriously how honorable, how worthy, as we saying, God is. That worthiness is not just an exciting thing. That is a terrifying thing. How has God been merciful to you? How has God been merciful to you? And and beyond the gospel, what has he done in your life today? What has he done in your life? How is he bringing you along? Who has he put in your life? How has God been merciful to you? Paul says in in chapter 2 of Romans, he says, as he's wrestling with these things before the Romans, he says in chapter 2, verse 4, 
do you not presume on the riches of his kindness? Um, I'm sorry, he says in verse three, do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things, yet do them yourselves, that you will escape the judgment of God? He's basically saying, you can't judge people and do the same thing and expect that you're gonna get away from it. And then in verse four, he says, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? Are you just assuming that, that God's gonna be kind to you? And he goes on and he says, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to what? Repentance. How has God been merciful to you? Once you have an answer to that question, you need to ask yourself, what is my proper response? Repentance means turning away from something, but it also means turning to something. And one of the things that we turn to is service. So that's me threading the needle to get to the point that we are called by the gospel, by the mercies of God, to serve God. And it says in Romans 12, verse 11, he really has three little statements. Do not be slothful in zeal. Right? We've all, we all seen the sloth, right? This animal that, that's pretty, pretty fun, actually, really slow, has weird claw fingers, hangs upside, upside down, and literally just does things slowly and has a slow metabolism and is the butt of every joke, and he doesn't care. Maybe he does care. He's going to get to caring eventually. He's going to get there. He's starting to care. And we, we call him a sloth because he embodies this idea of laziness, of slowness. And Paul says, don't be lazy. Don't be lazy. Christian life is not a lazy life. If you, if you think, again, if this, is, if this is a get out of jail free card for you, if this is a, okay, now I can do what I want because I know that uh, God's going to forgive me, I can just sprinkle some, some God dust on me and we're going to be okay, I warn you that you may not be saved. You may still be under the judgment of God in a very precarious situation because the Christian life is not a lazy life. James says it, <laughs> one of my first sermons was on James chapter one, and it was uh, the sermon of someone who's not experienced much of life, because <laughs> I wanted to preach on this. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you'd meet tri- trials of various kinds. I was like, in college, guys, you need to count it all joy when you face trials of many kinds. And everyone's looking at me and saying, you've not experienced a lot of trials, have you, Eddie? <laughs> That's the guy who's, you know, you need to do this, and, and, and Jesus is saying, you've got a kind of a big uh, thing protruding from your eyeball. But, but James does say this. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. He doesn't just say, you know, guys, if you, if you face trials, try to bear it. Try not to be too grumpy. Try to be, don't try to be too mean. You know, maybe have some time alone. You know, focus, take, take a bath, have some you know, self-help time. No, he says, count it all joy. And he doesn't say count it all joy because it's almost over. No, he says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect, lacking nothing. He says, because when you endure the trial, God's gonna produce something. James says, congratulations, you're gonna go through this for a minute. And you're like, no, wait, you mean like, it's gonna be over in a minute, right? No, he says, The longer it goes, the more joy, right? The Christian life is not easy. 
I, I've quoted this again, but, but I'm going to keep quoting it until some of you quote it back to me. Um, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, Paul says, I do not, nope, that's not right. There we go, Se- verse 17, 2 Corinthians, we'll get there. Don't quote back 1 Corinthians 4.17, you can, but 4.17, there we go. I did this yesterday when I was preparing, I was like, that's not right. He says this, we do not lose heart in verse 16, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. This light and momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. What is this light and momentary affliction? It's not when you stubbed your toe. It's not last Thursday when your, your coworker sent that email that you know was super passive-aggressive and you graciously and kindly sent a passive-aggressive email back. <laughs> this light and momentary affliction is your life. It's all the pain, all the struggles, all the cancer, all the broken relationships, all the sin, all the, re- the, the payment for your sin in this life. That is this light and momentary affliction. That's why, as I quoted before, there's, there's a, a guy, J.C. Ryle, who talks about how we are being fitted for heaven. That this momentary affliction is fitting us for heaven. The Christian life is not just so you can eat donuts and be happy, though I'd love to eat donuts and be happy. And you can. We'll have donuts after service, and we will all eat donuts and be happy. But that will not be the sole summer of our existence. God is fitting us for something, and we... We can't be lazy. In John chapter 16, uh, Jesus, Jesus speaks. Quote Jesus instead of Paul. God, God inspires both of them as a side note. Well, Jesus is God. It's God's word. God speaks through Paul. It's God's word. I'm not pitting them against one another. John chapter 16, Jesus says this. I have said these things to you. He's, he said a lot of things about uh, the world and, and the sadness that the disciples are going to experience when he leaves. And he says, I've said all these things that in, that, uh, that in me you may have peace. And then he says this, in the world you may experience some difficulties. Is that, is that in your Bible? In, in the world you might, you might have a tough time. You might not, but you might. No, he says, in the world you will have tribulation. And this is not some guy who's got some wise sayings. This is God. And that might have been a little disheartening, right? (laughs) We're like, we believe that you're God. Good, you're going to have some problems. I guess we have to believe it because he's saying it. But he says this, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The Christian life is not a life of ease. Don't be lazy. We have been saved so that we could work. We've been saved so that we can work. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, he says that we are his workmanship. God is making us. You are a piece of work. And I mean that in the nicest way, not in the way that your mom or dad said it <laughs> or your uncle. No, you're a, a piece of God's art. 
He's, he's shaping you. He's forming you. He's building you. He's, he's establishing the character of Christ. He's cutting away the rough edges and he's, he's bringing out the, the unique giftings and the unique uh, characteristics and traits that he put in your life that he didn't put in this person's life. You are a workmanship of Christ. And he said, created in Christ for what? For good works. What good works? Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And beforehand, I believe, means before the foundations of the world. You have to hop to get to before the foundations of the world. If you step, then you're still in time. But if you hop, it's before the foundations of the world. We've been prepared for good works. In Titus chapter 2, verse 4, 17. Hopefully it's Titus 2, 17. No, it's 2, 14. What am I doing to myself here? 2, 14. I wrote, I wrote 2, 14. Um, talking about Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, what? Who are zealous for good works. God saves us in order that we might be zealous for good works. God saves us in order that we might be zealous for good works, that we might be passionate about doing good works, that we might be focused on doing good works, that that passion would not just express itself in emotion, but in action, in doing. Yes, I'll serve on Sunday. Yes, I'll go to church on Wednesday. Yes, I'll be in a small group. Yes, I'll go to Mobile Hope. Yes, I will give money. Everyone's like, yeah, amen. Zealous for good works. And Galatians 6, 9 says, let us not become weary in doing well for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. God encourages us not to become weary in doing well. Rather than being lazy, Paul calls us to be zealous, passionate, which is ultimately something that only the Holy Spirit can do. In verse 12, he goes on and he says, or sorry, verse 11, he says, do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Be fervent in spirit. What are you passionate about? What are you passionate about? To put it in another way, what is it that you, what do you, what do you crave? What do you seek out? Is it your favorite noodles at your favorite noodle restaurant after having had a long week of fasting? That's okay if that's you. Is it, is it a specific tea time at your favorite golf place? Is it that moment where everyone's at school and you can finally be alone and not hear constant noise? I'm trying to bless those people just for a second. Paul is telling us to keep our passions and emotions and drive directed to the Holy Spirit. Those things aren't bad. All the things I mentioned aren't bad. Golf is not bad. It can become bad. Food isn't bad. It can become bad. Um, peace and quiet aren't bad. They can become bad. But, but what are we pursuing in our greatest, deepest desires? What are those things that, that we, we phrase in our mind, if I can just have this, I'll be okay. If I could just look forward to this moment in the week, I'll make it through the other junk. If I could just, if this person would just do this, everything else would be okay. If, if this person was, was okay with me, 
then I could be, I could be fine with everything else. Because what that, what that shows us is that perhaps there are things that we're passionate about and focused on that aren't necessarily directed towards the Holy Spirit. Perhaps. Galatians talks about what it looks like to be passionate and focused on the Holy Spirit. He says this in verse 16 of chapter 5. I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And he goes on to descri- describe the desires of the flesh. And he, he contrasts the works of the flesh and the, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And he says in verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have, been cru- have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And he says in verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. What does it look like for us to be fervent in spirit? It looks like us walking with the Spirit. How do we know that we're walking by the Spirit? Do you see the fruit of the Spirit in your life? If you're not sure, ask your spouse. If you're a kid, if you're not sure, ask your parents. Parents, be nice. Be honest, but be nice. Don't think that this is my moment. (laughs) We're all in process. Teens, you're in process. That's okay. You can exhibit the fruit of the Spirit in the fullness of God. And there's grace when you don't. (laughs) Um, He tells us to, to be focused and fervent on the Spirit. What does this look like? When you read your Bible, do you just read it as a, a checklist task? Do you read your Bible? Right? The first step would be to read your Bible as though it was a, a means by which God was feeding you. Right? If you don't read it every day, then, then, then you are convinced, at least implicitly, that you don't need this to live. Jesus thought it was necessary to read this in order to live. So are you better than Jesus? (laughs) But when you read it, are you doing it as a checklist task or are you listening for the voice of God? And and I don't don't say that just as like a um, shame, get your dunce hat, right? Some of y'all don't even know about dunce hats. I feel like that's that's not cool anymore. I mean, it wasn't cool at the time, but everyone's like, well, I mean, yeah, there are dunces. But now we're like, there aren't dunces, everyone's awesome. Dunce hat was something you put on with someone, it doesn't matter. Why am I talking about this? I don't know. Um, When you read your Bible, are you reading it as a checklist task? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm trying to invite you into something, not just to to make you feel bad about having not done something. God wants to engage you, and he wants to fulfill your needs. He's not just sitting there and just saying, you better read your Bible, because that's what good people do. No, he's saying, I see that you're thirsty. Come and drink some water. Right? If you were running outside and, and you'd been outside working in the yard and, and you'd just been just getting all the weeds and, and, and fighting the battles with all the, uh, the lanternflies and, and you're just, you've worked hard and it's been hot and sweaty and you are disgusting and someone came out and said, here's some water, you wouldn't say, don't, don't force that on me. No, you'd take it and say, thank you. That's amazing. This is wonderful. That's what God wants to do every day. That's what he wants to do. He wants to bring you water. When you pray, where is your heart? Are you engaged in your thoughts, your emotions, your hopes, your dreams? Or are you just, Lord God, please help so-and-so. No, 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 amen. And, and, 
we all go through this. I go through this. I've got a list of things that, that we pray through uh, most nights. And sometimes, sometimes I do pray like, Lord, please help this person and help this person and heal this person and heal that person. Amen. And, and, it's, and I have to remind myself or, you know, that, that I have to be reminded to, to engage my faith, to believe the, that the Holy Spirit's at work, to do more than just, I mean, we're having a conversation. We, we've all had the conversation where the person's just kind of looking through us and saying, and you're like, I don't know where you are, but it is not here with me. Or maybe that's you, and you're like, I've done that. I have done that. We want to engage the Holy Spirit because he has things he wants to say to us. When you come to church, do you seek to be used by the Holy Spirit to be a blessing or are you looking for other people to meet your needs? It got real quiet. Hey, if you're here and you have needs to be met, godly needs that that we can meet, I want to meet those needs. I want our church to be a place where people's needs are met. Spiritual, physical, emotional. That's, That's why we're here. But when God calls us to be fervent in spirit, he calls us to have a disposition of engaging the Holy Spirit and saying, Holy Spirit, how can you use me? He says fervent in spirit. And finally, in all this, we serve the Lord. God has saved you so that you might serve him. Again, there's a misconception in Christianity, and if you you listen well, you'll hear it. It becomes this therapeutic God saves me so I can be better. God saves me so I can live a better life. God saves me so that I can, um, I can have all the things that I want and need. And it's, it's devious because there's truth in all of those statements. God does save us and in saving us meet our needs. The challenge is the world says we need these things, but God says we need these things. Oh, you need, you need ease. You need a lack of pain. You need... Um, money, you need uh, comfort. And God says, you need to be reconciled to a holy God. You need to know me. You need to love me. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit who can form you and shape you into who you were intended to be. He does meet those needs. He might not always meet these needs. When God saves you, your life, my life, is over. Paul says this in, in chapter 2, verse 10 of Galatians. What is, no, chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live, I, I, I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God. Paul is saying, I, all of my purposes, all of my plans, all of my priorities, they're dead. They're dead. Christ lives now. What that looks like in your life is that you take all of those things that maybe you held dear before trusting in God and you lay them before God. Now, some of those things he may say, oh yeah, we're on the same page about that thing. We're on the same page. Pick that up. We're going to do that thing. Other things he's saying, well, that's dead. That's dead. That relationship, dead. You need to break up with that guy, that girl. Move along. You stop doing those things that you know your mom would not be pleased with. Move along. Dead. That career, that's not for you. Move along. That love of money, not for you. Move along. You're dead. 
But the good news is that Christ is alive in you. And, and, and the life that Christ will live in you is so much better than any life that you could try to craft for yourself. And I promise you the ending is much better. God saves you so that you may serve him. You are no longer alive. Christ lives in you. So if you're no longer alive but Christ is in you, what do you need to be asking? Christ, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to serve? How do you want me to live my life? Who do we serve? We serve the Lord. We don't serve ourselves. We don't serve another person. We don't serve our spouse. We don't serve our children. We don't serve our employer. Now we do things for these people, but who is calling the shots? The Lord. We are servants of Christ. In Philippians, Paul opens up and he says, Paul, a servant of Christ. And in the book of James that I just quoted, James, again, this is, I mean, so James, we believe, was written by a guy named James, and he calls himself a servant of God and of, listen to this, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, why is that interesting at all? Because that's his brother. That's his brother. Now, if you have a brother... Can you imagine, you know, maybe after 33, 34, 35, realizing not only do I, like, he's kind of a big deal, you know, he's really big in the government and I should kind of give him honor. No, but he's, your brother isn't God. But just imagine the situation that James is in, that, that his brother is God. And so he calls himself not the brother of Christ, not the, the, the relative he doesn't try, he's not the entourage, he's not getting into the secret parties with Jesus saying, I, you know, I'm, I'm on the list. No, he says, I'm a servant. And he doesn't even address Jesus as his brother. He says, the Lord. We're servants and we're called to serve the Lord. So, as we, as we come to a close, who are you serving? If someone looked at the way you spent your, your time, your energy, your money, your attention, who would they conclude that you're serving? If someone were to ask about who or what you were most passionate about, what would they say? Now, I mean, some of you, you're like, well, I'm a, I'm a wife or I'm a husband, and you can see that I have a family, and that's how I spend my money, on food. <laughs> but there's honor in that if, if that reflects a godly priority to provide for your family because you're serving the Lord in serving your family. You know, some of you, you're like, well, I hang out with a lot of people, you know, I'm on the college campus I'm, and, I, and I, I spend a lot of money to, to, to hang out with friends and, and talk to them about Jesus. That, that's godly because you're, you're taking your resources and your time and, and you're using it to serve God by loving people. So don't be discouraged and think, oh, I guess I just have to give all my money to, to the church and, or, or else I'm, I'm unholy. No, I'm saying that there needs to be a focus that isn't just what do I need to do, but what does God want me to do with my time, energy, resources, etc. In Matthew 22, Jesus answers the question, what's the most important command? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Or he says in that one, love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, and strength, I believe. But the point is, love him with everything. And if we're called to love him with everything, then we're called to serve him with everything. 
And the good news is that we serve God knowing that we'll reap a harvest. Galatians 6, 9, I quoted it before. Don't give up. We'll reap a harvest if we don't give up. And we serve God knowing that he's working all things for our good. You may not even see it in this life, but we, can, we have the promise that God works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. We serve God knowing, as Philippians 1, 6, that, that he, he has begun a good work in us and he's going to bring it to completion. You've been saved to serve. You've been saved, family, to serve. There are places in this church where we need you to serve. This is, this is where the plea becomes practical. There are places where we need you to serve. We have a building. There are things that need to happen in this building. We have a children's ministry. There are little people that need to be cared for. There are, there's a youth ministry. There are people, young people that need to be cared for and discipled and trained and, and fathered and mothered. We've got, we've got the, the happy people in the front who, who smile at us and, and say good morning. If you like to smile, we want you there. If you don't like to smile, we've got, we've got lots of places for you to serve. If, if you don't like to smile, but you are really good at administration, guess what? There's a lot that goes into this whole process. If you like spreadsheets, I know a guy that you can talk to. But there are places for you to serve. After service, we're going to have uh, Pastor Jermaine's going to be out in the lobby. And, and if you aren't serving somewhere, would you, would you just talk to him and find a place to serve? We're, we're not necessarily asking for you to sign the papers today. But I, I, in your heart, I want you to sign the papers to God. God, I'm going to serve you. God, I'm going to serve you. You have been saved to serve. Where do you need to serve? Where do you need to sacrifice? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you love us and that you have saved us to serve. God, I thank you that, that this is a good thing. That you don't just beam us up to heaven but you allow us to live life here for a short and momentary period in order to, to shape us and fit, fit us and mold us so that we might be able to receive all that you have in heaven for us. So that in, in, in the next period of life, when we're worshiping you, when we're celebrating all the things that are holy, when we're reflecting on your word, that we've, we've begun to have a taste for your word. We've had a taste for hearing you. We've had a taste for living a holy life. We've had a taste for following you because we've lived life here and been prepared for it. God, for those who are not sure where to serve, I pray that you would just give them courage to just take a step forward, to just just try something, throw something on the wall and see what sticks. this room and you have never trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you've never reckoned with or or wrestled with the fact that you are a sinner who needs to be saved, and today you realize that, that you realize that there's nothing good that you could do that would take away the fact that, that you have disobeyed God and you need salvation. If that's you and you want to receive Christ, you want to trust in Jesus, you want to turn away from everything you know to be sin and turn to Jesus Christ, I would love to pray for you if we'll just raise your hand. There's nothing uh, magical or, or that forces the, the hand of God by, by praying, but, but we respond to what God is doing in our heart by praying.
that's you, you can just pray. Lord God, I turn away from everything I know to be sin, everything I know to be disobeying you, and I want to turn and trust Jesus as my Lord, my Master, and my Savior, the one who has taken away the punishment for my sin. Lord, I thank you for new life. Help me to walk, help me to live in a way that pleases you. In Jesus' name.